Welcome to this Recharge Special Edition. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the breaking issues around the European Union's lithium strategy. Regular listeners may be disappointed to hear that there's no Cormac this time, but nevertheless, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Herron, Director of Communications for the European Metals Association, Roland Chavas, Secretary General of the International Lithium Association, and Muthu Krishna, a battery specialist from Fast Markets. As we reported in the July edition of Battery Materials Review, the European Chemicals Agency has taken a proposal to the European Commission to classify lithium carbonate, chloride and hydroxide as dangerous to human health. This would require a much more restrictive regulatory framework around their use, which is likely to have a substantial impact on the EU's strategic plans to develop a self-sufficient battery supply chain. Gentlemen, welcome to Recharge. Thanks very much for joining us today. Now, Chris, if I could just start with you, can you explain where the European Chemicals Agency is coming from on this proposal? Sure. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. The European Chemicals Agency's Risk Assessment Committee, which is a body of member state experts, have tabled a proposal to classify three important lithium compounds, carbonate, hydroxide, and chloride, as Category 1A reprotoxic, following an original proposal from France a few years ago. That's a very severe level of hazard classification linked with apparent developmental and fertility impacts from exposure to some of these chemicals. In response, and over the last years, Europe's combined batteries value chain from metal suppliers to cell manufacturers to battery recyclers have collectively expressed some quite significant concerns about this proposal. As an industry, we're supporting regulation that's good and solid. But in this case, our scientific experts are clear that the, the evidence and the basis for justifying such a severe classification isn't there. And we're requesting that the European Commission is taking the proposal back to the scientific level to look at some of the gaps in the methodology, to take into account the full body of evidence that's required, and hopefully to make the right conclusion about these compounds. Lithium, as we know, is at the center of the European Commission's Green Deal and Energy Transition goals, and, and it's really crucial for us, but also collectively, that it's a decision that, that is gotten right when it's taken by the end of this year. Okay, okay, thanks very much. And Roland, the, the International Lithium Association has written quite a detailed letter to the EU about this. Chris has sort of given a, a broad sort of intro, but can you explain in a, a little bit more detail why you don't agree with the ECA's position on this? Thank you, Matt. I'd be happy to. I should probably just introduce Elia first, as we're a new, fairly new organisation. The International Lithium Association, or Elia, we're the global voice of the lithium value chain. Our purpose is to inform, convene and represent the lithium industry. And this includes talking to stakeholders such as regulators, hence the letter. Our members last year accounted for about 75% of global lithium production. And we've got many significant companies throughout the value chain, from the miners right through to battery companies, including those with current and planned lithium production and refining operations in Europe itself, in the European Union itself. We don't agree with the RAC opinion, which ECHA has put forward to the European Commission. But first, I'd just like to say, and I think I speak on behalf of the, the working group on this issue, ELIA does not question the need for hazardous substances to be proportionally regulated, or indeed the precautionary principle itself. But we do believe 
very strongly that all substance classifications must be based on clear, compelling, and comprehensive scientific evidence. Now, this might sound like common sense, because the unintended impacts of an incorrect classification can be significant long-term and far-ranging in their unintended consequences. And obviously, for something as important as lithium, this would be especially true. The reason we don't agree with the Rack opinion boils down to concerns we have on the scientific robustness of both the justification to read across between lithium carbonates and lithium hydroxide and lithium chloride, as well as the applied weight of evidence methodology and how the contradicting results and quality of different studies were considered. The RAC exercised a weight of evidence assessment, notably inconsistent with the rules and criteria. And in particular, the quality and consistency of the data were not fully assessed. In this position, in this opinion, we are aligned with the minority opinion of the member of RAC from Finland. The Finnish RAC member made it perfectly clear in their public statement that unambiguous scientific evidence is lacking when it comes to classifying these three lithium salts. And unambiguous scientific evidence is absolutely essential when you're going for a category 1A classification. I'd be happy to go into great, great detail, but in a nutshell, I'd just like to pick out a couple of choice quotes from the Finland member's opinion. The evidence is not sufficiently convincing. Uncertainties related to the read across from lithium carbonate to lithium hydroxide. Due to lithium hydroxide's corrosive properties, and consequently the potential to reach high enough doses of the lithium cation to induce reproductive toxicity, are absent. And here we go. On the weight of evidence, they say data on lithium carbonate and chloride is not fully consistent. And in conclusion, they say that rather than a 1A, which, as I mentioned, that needs this unambiguous scientific evidence, mm -hmm. the member from Finland is arguing that a 1B or even a 2 classification would be far more appropriate in this case. And that wouldn't be as invasive to the industry? It's a question of being appropriate. I mean, as, as I mentioned, we're not questioning the requirement for, for substances to be proportionally regulated. But we are saying that they should be proportionally regulated. And so regulating everything as 1A just because you can is unnecessary. The 1A classification, that presumably imposes a leg level of regulation of operating requirements on a project that, that potentially would make it difficult from an economic point of view to, to develop new projects, or how would it genuinely impact the industry? The whole topic of lithium and the lithium value chain in Europe is critically important. It's barely out of the news. The economic situation is always considered separately from the category, mm. the substance category classification. This is a critically important decision and an incorrect assessment, an incorrect classification. It's a, a stepped process. And so, yes, unclassified substances have far lower regulatory burden than category two, which is lower than category 1B, which is lower than category 1A. So, yes, if, if something is, is misclassified as 1A when it could be or should be 1B or 2, inevitably that adds a burden of, of regulatory compliance, of costs, of time, or of human resources. 
uniquely, and then th this, this I think is an important thing point to make, Matt, which sometimes hasn't always been picked up in the press because it's quite technical, but on such things, so, so turn the wheels of the world. In the European Union, in their absolutely well-intentioned goal of reducing pollution and hazards, they've created something called the Substance of Very High Concern List, mm -hmm. SVHC for short. This means if a substance is classified as 1A, whether correctly or not, if substance is classified as 1A, and then it goes on, not automatically, but it's very likely to go onto this substance of very high concern list, mm -hmm. the first thing is that nothing has ever left the substance of very high concern list. The second thing is that the chemical strategy for sustainability has got the overall objective of restricting the use of these SVHC substances. Right. And so, so that's not too great if you want to build a battery industry that relies on lithium. It's not, no. And, and the REACH revision, which is current ongoing at the moment, might change that further. Right. So there's a lot of uncertainty already. I can't emphasize this enough, Matt. It's the uncertainty. What this is doing to yeah. businesses planning long-term, large investments in lithium production or lithium refining, or at the other end of the value chain, lithium recycling. Should any of these lithium sorts be classified incorrectly, there will be significant unintended consequences in the EU, and not just in the EU, but in the EU's competitors as well. Yeah. Not to put too lightly on it, we've uh, Elia has had a very extensive discussions with representatives of the British government who are following this issue extremely closely for, for two reasons. Yeah. Uh, the first reason is because in Northern Ireland, the province of Northern Ireland in the UK still has EU regulations. So the UK yeah. government, by law, must follow them and understand them and implement them in Northern Ireland. And secondly, and this is completely unofficial, um, there is no official position on it yet. They are currently assessing it, and the official position will be out within the next uh, 60 days, I'm told. But in, in off-the-record private conversations with British government employees, if I can put it that way, when I've told them about this issue, they have raised an eyebrow and said along the lines of, hmm, that's very interesting. <laughs> you know, tell, tell me more about how all these companies who are looking to invest in lithium refineries in this part of the world, they see it as a potential business opportunity. I can understand that. Okay, um, so, so Krishna, uh, coming to you now, we've obviously talked a little bit about the importance of building up a regional battery supply chain. Why, from, from your point of view as an industry analyst, is it important that the EU builds up this integrated battery material supply chain? Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Well, the, the EU wants to phase out IC vehicles by 2035. So we need to start accelerating the adoption of electric vehicles. And the primary driver for, that, for this is to bring down battery costs. We're seeing many gigafactory projects announced around Europe to build batteries for these EVs, which is great. But in order to facilitate this uh, transition, we need stable raw material prices and uh, security of supply that's also ethical and sustainable. Right now, something like 80% of battery-grade raw materials are refined in China. That's graphite, the precursors, and the cathode-active materials. 
the mined materials are sent to China for refining and conversion into battery grade materials and then sent to cell manufacturers. And then those cells are then shipped here to be built into EVs. Such an over-reliance on a single country risks severe supply issues. And these risks are made worse by the political tensions in the, in the region. I can think of two parallels, the one being the global semiconductor shortage. And that's really taken a toll on industries here. And uh, the current situation in Ukraine with Russia turning off the energy supplies. So Europe really needs to be self-reliant. And now there's a great opportunity to set global standards on efficiency and sustainability by investing in our own production facilities. This will reduce carbon emissions, simplify transportation and logistics. And this will also promote recycling streams as well. In summary, developing our own supply chain and making battery grade materials here in Europe is crucial to bring down EV costs and to ensure a stable circular economy. Now, we've seen the Americans invoke the Defense Production Act and we're right now at risk of lagging behind in this new industry. Which is pretty depressing because Europe was one of the first movers after China in this industry and, and seems to have worked that advantage off over the last two to three years of uh, lots of talking and not very much doing. So Chris, coming back to you, we talked a little bit about some of the sort of uh, top-down impacts of the industry of the proposed measures. I understand that Albemarle has an existing plant in Europe that would potentially be impacted. But what about the nascent sort of lithium conversion industry? I mean, I know a number of companies are looking into opening up conversion plants in the EU. Is this going to impact their ability to, to start up those projects? I think that's the big concern. And maybe going back to, to Krishna's comments about the importance of building up the supply chain, we also see within highest levels of the European Commission in our conversations that there is a growing awareness that this is a bit of a, a black spot of the EU's Green Deal and energy transition, specifically the raw materials and metal supply, the risk of being dependent on a single supplier, and, and what Krishna said about why we should be building up the local supply chains. So there's a lot of work on going behind the scenes to play catch up. We expect new legislation at the start of next year to improve investment conditions for all stages of the value chain from strategic materials like lithium, but also the other battery materials, et cetera. And there's a big push on going to, to give companies what they need to make those investments. Now's the crucial time, as you said, Matt, because of the EU's ambition with its electric vehicles, there's going to be a huge ramp up in demand in the next 10 years. I think there's a concern amongst policymakers about how we can get capacity online fast enough to, to supply that peak in demand when it, when it happens. And that comes to the, the impacts of this on potential classification decision, because it really does hit the conversion, the refining stage of the value chain the most, also the recycling, as, as Roland was saying. We have a number of investments in this space announced, for example, in, in Germany and, and other member states, and we hope to see new announcements over the next years as well. Privately, we've heard companies say that they're really withholding some of their investment decisions until they see how this chemicals process plays out. The key word and the key issue is uncertainty, as Roland mentioned. I'd fully agree with that, that currently we, we know there will be impacts from the classification, but it's very hard to say what the impacts will be, what magnitude they will be, and, and when they will happen. Basically, I sort of always describe it like a snowball. Like if you get this classification decision, you start the ball rolling and it will slowly pick up speed and get bigger and bigger as it rolls down the hill of the EU's chemical process. 
a number of things could and will probably happen. Firstly, there will be new requirements for plants in terms of safety procedures that they'll need to take place. That would all need to be defined later down the line, but would add costs onto the the, the need, you know, doing business here in Europe, mm-hmm. which, as Krishna said, is also already playing catch up with China and other areas of the world which offer a more competitive environment. Then, in the longer term, there's the issue of the substance is a very high concern label, and the fact that this puts, as Roland said, you, you're on a track then to some sort of eventual phase out whenever it's feasible and. That's not likely for these compounds, for as far as we can see, because they're absolutely essential in all of the new and upcoming battery technologies. But it does, again, create that uncertainty. And, and as an investor, you may ask the question, is this a safe place to put my investment versus some other jurisdictions which are also competing? We mentioned the UK, but a number of other jurisdictions are looking to supply the European market and our battery gigafactories and our car manufacturers that we do have here. So we see that, yeah, those those impacts can and will be significant. We don't know how much, and we will have to spend some time until it's fully clear, which is creating that uncertainty for and putting off some investments, I would say. And let's be realistic. I mean, this is not just the sort of the direct lithium industry, is it? It's also the cathode industry because they would be the users of these of these lithium chemicals as well. So, you know, you 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 would be using the lithium chemicals in cathode manufacturing. Um, there have been a number of quite significant sort of cathode manufacturing facilities announced in Europe. And obviously, if they have to recite because of this these regulations, that would be very impactful for for the European investment situation but also for the for the cell manufacturing industry as well indeed I'd, I'd be cautious about going too far and saying no investment will ever happen in europe because of these decisions but at a very crucial time for these investment decisions to be made we're adding a load of uncertainty into the mix and causing questions among companies at a time when we should really be bringing them in as strongly as we can and the fact is if we do have this conversion capacity in europe it will offer um, co2 benefits it will already meet higher environmental standards and everything else. And it would be a shame if some of our lack of coherence in some of these approaches could actually push it to less regulated areas of the world as an ultimate consequence, but not to overstate the consequences at the same time. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Roland, coming on to you, could this then cascade upstream as well? So could this have an impact on the lithium mining projects that that are trying to get the go-ahead in Europe too? Undoubtedly. A misclassification would undoubtedly have a knock-on impact on the mining industry in Europe. I was talking to some people only the other day. I won't mention the country because I'll fairly easily identify where where their mine project is. But they were were essentially saying that a misclassification, it would inevitably add costs on one hand, various different costs, labour, time, money, cost of capital. But also a misclassification would directly, perhaps permanently, misinform the public. And the public perception of the safety of these elements would be impacted. Mm-hmm. I mean, already, we all, we all know the difficulty of getting mining projects permitted and off the ground and put into production in Europe. And it's been hugely difficult for the six or seven mining projects that are, that are under development in Europe that really struggling with the planning procedures or the hoops that they've got to drop through. I mean, if you if you add in a misclassification, as you call it, that's adding even more hoops for them to jump through. And it's already taken 
years longer to get some of the European projects into production than it's taken projects elsewhere in the world, hasn't it? Absolutely. I say misclassification. To be clear, no classification has been confirmed yet. Yeah. And and we we know obviously we we're hoping very much that a the right classification will be reached. A misclassification, they would not only have direct costs on the on the operational proceedings at the mine, but it would also this will vary depending on different uh, jurisdictions, but it would probably also impact how the, the permitters, the permitting authorities in member states view lithium mines. They'd probably take a much harsher microscope to those mines, require far greater pre like, the feasibility requirements and, and the planning to go into that mine. Yep. But I guess my point, I, I was thinking more along the lines of the difficulty in the social license to operate in mining in general is, is very well documented. Even something which does so much good for the world as, as lithium, going to decarbonisation of transport, the whole new renewable energy decarbonised transport century, even something as, as, with as many clear and unambiguous benefits as lithium, to have a mine in your neighbourhood, there is still an awful lot of pushback. It would make it even more difficult for the mining companies to get that social licence to operate if the local community believed the misclassification and therefore mistakenly believed that the, the mine was operating on a far more unattractive substance than it was. That's a very important point. Uh, I think um, particularly around you know, the development of, of, a, of a lithium mining industry in, in the European Union. Krishna, maybe moving on to you um, very quickly. So we, we sort of touched on the potential for investment to go offshore in the lithium mining, potentially in the conversion industry. Where would such investments likely to go, be likely to go, do you think? Which other countries would be open to, to such investments? That's a difficult question, in my opinion, regarding the processing and the refining of nitrocade materials, I can't really see many alternatives than sticking with the status quo, mm. and that's importing raw materials from Asia, maybe even North America, uh, if, if they leapfrog us, or we risk not having a sufficient supply. To me, it doesn't make sense to go offshore. Yes, the raw materials are mined in different locations around the world, lithium, South America, cobalt, DRC, nickel, Indonesia. You need to first make precursors and then combine this with a lithium salt to make the cathode active material. Where will you put these plants and how will you manage the logistics to then send the products to Europe? Also, shipping large amounts of cathode active material is complicated and expensive, especially if it's a nickel-rich chemistry, as it's sensitive to moisture and, and, uh, and the air. Therefore, ideally, you want the CAM plant, the cathode active um, material plant, to be close to the cell manufacturing plant, which should be close to the vehicle manufacturing plant. And at the center of all of this, you need to have your recycling plant that can take in end-of-life batteries, as well as fresh cells from manufacturing that have failed quality checks to close the loop and reuse the important metals. So in order to minimize the carbon footprint, to minimize the amount of material you're shipping around the world, to reduce battery costs and to integrate recycling, it's extremely important we set up our own supply chain here in Europe for our gigafactories. I really can't see practical solution in, in offshore um, production. 
So, so if this was pushed offshore, it would impact not only the financial economics of the industry, but potentially also the carbon economics of the of the European cell industry and EV industry. Yeah, for sure. And you can make an argument saying, look, we can have the the precursor production in Europe and then send that outside Europe to be combined with lithium to make the CAM and then send that back to Europe for manufacturing. But why would you want to do that? That's just adding a, extra levels of complexity to the, um, the transportation chain. Chris, coming to you then, it's quite mixed messaging, isn't it, really, from the EU? On the one hand, you've got them looking to sort of prioritise the capacity to separate, to refine and to recycle raw materials. But on the other hand, they're looking to make the business more difficult. It, it doesn't send out great messages to the industry. No, mixed messaging indeed. And that's a big part of the frustration, I think, um, that we, we have when we're looking at the process and, and how it goes forwards. As mentioned, there's a, a lot of people in the European policymaking apparatus which are working very hard to, to bring this production to Europe. Unfortunately, they're in separate buildings and departments to the buildings and departments where this chemical legislation is developed. The reality is it's, it's technical and it's scientific. And amidst all of the other challenges in Europe that we're dealing with, with an energy crisis, with trade challenges and the, the industrial points, sometimes these chemicals decisions can fly under the radar for being too technical, too scientific. And this is quite a rare one in that it is now getting a lot of public attention. But we, indeed, the plea we have is, is ultimately for coherence. Uh, this is a race where Europe is playing catch-up with other parts of the world. It won't happen automatically that we can deliver these, this new industrial capacity, and we need to be helping the businesses to do so while driving them to meet environmental standards that are high and proportionate and, and using that as a differentiator. And in that, this case, we feel like too many mixed signals are potentially preventing that from happening. It's, it's interesting that the proposal originally came from France, which is also one of the member states, which is the biggest proponent of an active raw material strategy in Europe and big on the concept of strategic autonomy and reshoring everything we can. And the other side of France is also the one pushing this, this very severe classification. So we're still hopeful, as Roland says, it's not a decision that's taken yet. And we're hopeful that when it is discussed within the European Commission, these different priorities can be brought together and we can find a proportional and good pathway through. And hopefully, again, that involves more work at the scientific level to review the full body of evidence and, and hopefully agree on something more proportionate for the sector to deal with. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Before we finish, I'd just like to mention the Fast Markets European Battery Raw Materials Conference, which is taking place in Barcelona on the 20th and 21st of September. It's the only raw material focused event in Europe, and I'm looking forward to hearing from industry leaders across the supply chain. For listeners of this podcast, Fast Markets are offering an exclusive 15% discount with the code RECHARGE15. That's RECHARGE15. All you need to do is go to fastmarkets.com slash events and register for the European Battery Raw Materials Conference. See you there. So thanks very much to my guests, Chris Heron, Director of Communications for the European Metals Association, Roland Chavas, Secretary General of the International Lithium Association, and Muthu Krishna, a battery material specialist from Fast Markets. If you have any questions about what we've talked about, please drop us a line by info at batterymaterialsreview.com and we'll direct your questions to one of our specialists. 
I'm Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and this has been Recharge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>